Hey everyone, just a quick note that this episode will be discussing topics that may be difficult for some listeners, including mental health and schizophrenia. If this might be upsetting to you or anyone that you're with, please do sit this one out. And if you're currently struggling with your mental health, I've included links to support groups and charities in the show notes that I hope you find helpful. Otherwise, please enjoy the episode. Let's imagine for a moment that you and a friend have committed a crime. You've both been arrested and the police tell you that they have enough evidence to put you in prison for two years. However, there's a deal on the table. If you confess and help convict your friend, then you go free and their sentence gets bumped up to five years for refusing to cooperate. What would you do? Betray your friend and go free? or cooperate and just take the two years. Oh, and by the way, they've been offered the exact same deal, so think fast. Wanna bet that they take the deal, or would they stay quiet? This scenario of both you and your friend being in the exact same situation, where you have the exact same options, and the results can't be improved upon, is called a Nash Equilibrium after a man by the name of John Forbes Nash. His work on game theory would have profound impacts on economics by creating a framework for working out the decisions made by multiple decision makers. He also spent much of his life living with schizophrenia. You're listening to Hollywood Science. In each episode, I'll take a look at a particular film to see how the science fiction holds up to reality. In this episode, A Beautiful Mind and Schizophrenia. I'm Alex Contis. The 2001 film A Beautiful Mind is an adaptation of the biography of the same name about John Nash, a Nobel Prize-winning mathematician. The film was a critical success and earned Russell Crowe an Oscar nomination and Golden Globe win for Best Actor, as well as securing Oscar wins for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And it's this adapted screenplay that drew some criticism, as it differed from the events that occurred during Nash's life. From 1948, at age 19, John Nash entered Princeton University to begin studying mathematics as a doctoral student. And it was while studying for this PhD that he developed a proof of what we now know as the Nash Equilibria within non-cooperative games. This might sound like a headache, but it basically falls into the wider field of game theory, which at a very basic level is the study of where maths, statistics, and psychology all intersect. And it was this PhD work that would ultimately earn him his Nobel Prize in Economic Sciences, awarded to him in 1994, at the age of 64. Dr. John Nash, your analysis of equilibrium non-cooperative games and all your other contributions to game theory have had a profound effect on the way economic theory has developed in the last two decades. It's an honor and privilege for me to convey to all of you, on the behalf of the Royal Academy of Sciences, our warmest congratulations. I now 
ask you to receive your prizes from the hand of His Majesty the King. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I did okay at university, but I definitely didn't do any Nobel Prize winning work. And just to further emphasize Nash's intellect, in case it wasn't clear by now, his letter of recommendation to Princeton read simply, This man is a genius. But back in 1958, in his early 30s, while teaching at MIT, he began to display the first signs of a mental illness which would later be diagnosed as schizophrenia. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, schizophrenia is characterized as a chronic and severe mental disorder that affects how a person thinks, feels, and behaves. It's understood to be a type of psychosis that is commonly marked by an inability to distinguish one's own thoughts from reality. In Nash's own words, a delusional state of mind is like living a dream. Well, I knew where I was. I was there in observation. But I was able to think that I was like a victim of a conspiracy. At first, Nash appeared to be paranoid, which manifested in delusions that included a belief that men wearing red ties around the MIT campus were part of a communist conspiracy against him. Another involved him interrupting a lecture to claim that he was on the cover of the latest issue of Life magazine. The cover in question actually featured Pope John Paul XXIII, but Nash believed it was himself, as his favorite prime number was 23. In Manus, I saw myself as some sort of a messenger having a special function. In Manus, I thought I was the most important person of the world. People like the Pope would be just like enemies who would try to uh, put me down somewhere. His psychotic break was attributed to stress from an increased workload and his wife's pregnancy with their first child together. But it was in April 1959 when he first received professional care and was admitted to McLean Hospital in Massachusetts, where he stayed for one month, though not entirely happily. I didn't feel that I belonged locked up. I, I never went voluntarily. It was at McLean where he received a formal diagnosis of his schizophrenia, marked specifically by auditory hallucinations. Auditory hallucinations are the most common type of hallucination found in those with schizophrenia, and it's often reported that these hallucinations involve more than one voice making commentary about the individual in a critical manner. Nash even admitted that he only ever heard his delusions and never saw anything, which is just one instance where a beautiful mind diverged from the actual events. You're really talking to yourself. It's what the voices are. Mental health treatment and diagnosis at the time was still in the early stages of being formally recognized as a branch of illness, and the first edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, or the DSM, had only just been published a few years prior to Nash's admittance to McLean. The DSM was designed by the American Psychiatric Association to be the guidebook for all language and criteria in diagnosing mental health disorders. 
Yet this first edition of the DSM made no express acknowledgement of schizophrenia arising as a result of physiological factors such as brain chemistry or genetic predispositions. In fact, it was believed to be an almost Freudian condition attributed to unresolved conflicts within an individual's childhood. This understanding might sound outdated now, but this was also a time when homosexuality was included in the DSM as a mental disorder. The DSM has come some way since the 50s and published its fifth edition in 2013, which now reflects a greater understanding of what mental health is, how illnesses occur, and how they can be treated. One of the treatments that Nash had to go through was known as insulin shock therapy, also known as insulin coma therapy. It's since fallen by the wayside, but it was a popular course of treatment for schizophrenia in the 1940s and 50s, and involved injecting patients with enough insulin to induce them into a coma, or at least to a state of listlessness and severe drowsiness. Insulin shock therapy was carried out under the belief that schizophrenia was a metabolic problem, and as you might be thinking, ignored the long-term effects this treatment could have on the body, including obesity or hypoglycemia, and in extreme cases, irreversible comas or death. Here's Nash describing his experiences at Trenton Psychiatric Hospital in New Jersey, where he was treated from 1961. I don't remember all the details. It's the sort of thing that, uh, like if you go under anesthesia, you don't, you remember only the process up to the anesthesia. I remember some of the surrounding events. There would be a group of people that would be getting it, and then afterwards, they would go out on the grounds and pass some time and drink sugar water. I got to thinking of the cruelty to animals. I became a vegetarian at the time that I was in the uh, uh, Trenton Hospital. I was sort of thought that one could protest against this sort of treatment. After many years of treatment, including with insulin shock therapy, Nash's schizophrenia began to go into remission, and he regained lucidity. This isn't an uncommon thing to happen to those with schizophrenia. But what is perhaps unusual, though, is that it's not understood why this can happen. For Nash, he believed he was able to intellectualize his symptoms. Not only was he able to challenge his delusions, he felt that he had confronted them as well. I don't really remember the chronology very well. Exactly when I moved from one type of thinking to another, I began arguing with the concept of the voices, and ultimately I began rejecting them and, and deciding not to listen. A Beautiful Mind is a film that portrayed one man's life with his mental health, who managed to achieve great things and leave a lasting impact through his work. For the one in 100 people who live with schizophrenia, it can be a daily struggle to live in a world that doesn't fully understand their illness.
Hollywood Science is created by me, Alex Contis. If you'd like to be kept up to date with the show, please consider subscribing wherever you normally get your podcasts from. And if you have a spare minute, leaving a review helps others find the show as well. You can like and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. The links are at hollywoodscience.co.uk and in the show notes as well. Until next time, thank you for listening.